Thank you for listening to this audio recording produced by Truth Point Church in West Palm Beach. We exist to point people to the truth of the gospel. So the, I'll tell you something that's going to just shock you. The world is broken, right? Shocking. Now there's plenty of examples of this kind of thing that we could say, but you know, one of the ones that's really striking to me when it popped back up again on Thanksgiving was just something little and silly that happened here at Truth Point. One of the very first emails that I got when I started in this role as interim pastor here at Truth Point was from a member who said, hey, somebody's uh, writing spoof emails in your name and trying to get us to give them money. I mean, and it was fast. And then, not long after that, maybe a couple of months later, one of the elders, who shall remain nameless, right after he became the worship director, got one of those emails. And trying to be a good worship director for this guy, this interim, who's just in trying to help out the church, he was packing up and leaving work to go buy me those Apple gift cards that I so desperately needed. But don't call me. Just put them in the mail and send them my way. Now, look, this is crazy. It's a little thing. It's not a big thing. But you know the thing that's striking about it is, I mean, think about what that represents. My name went up on, and this is the way it played out. My name went up on the church website with an email address, my my email address. Got the name. They wrote out an email. They put in interim pastor, had a nice signature. Um, They did a little more like, hey, how's it going? I really appreciate being here. Way more niceties than I would ever do. But they they tried to spoof what a compassionate person would do in jumping into a congregation. And then they went and gathered up all the other email addresses that they could find on the church website. And anybody who had one, so the volunteers, the employees, the people who were participating in the life of the church, somebody went out and willfully gathered all those names together. And then trying with a bunch of church volunteers, a bunch of church employees, quickly, they were on it. They were checking church websites to manipulate the fact that this church was in transition to be able to get a few hundred dollars in gift cards. I mean, this is really, it's, it's like, it's little. It's just a spoof email. We get them all the time. But on the other hand, it's like, man, the world is broken. Somebody went to a lot of work to take advantage of a church transition to try to steal a few hundred dollars from helpful volunteers wanting to participate in the life of a church. The world is broken. And one of the things we're going to be doing over the next four weeks is we do our Advent series. And so Advent is this four weeks leading up to Christmas. And Advent is a time of anticipating Christ is coming. Now we are after Christ came the first time. And so we go back and we put ourselves into the position of waiting on Christ. So what we're going to do is we're actually going to go through three stops in the Old Testament and then one at the very beginning of John. And we're going to try to get a picture of who is Christ, who is coming. And Christ, by the way, Christ and Messiah, that language, it just means anointed one. It would refer to someone that's going to, someone that's important, someone that's going to do something. We, we, we're going to go back and we're going to try to put ourselves in there. We're going to try to hear some things that Scripture lays out for us about who it is that needs to be coming. And one of the things I want to tell you as we do it is 
you need to kind of take away. We have a tendency to flatten out the Bible. And what I mean is we take what we already are thinking about and we just go read it in in a way that makes it hard for us to read Scripture the way people would have first read it. Because we've seen Christ who came. And it can seem more obvious than it would have been in the beginning. So we're going to cleverly start in the beginning as we do this series. So as we try to look at different stops along the way, who is it that's coming? Today we're going to be talking about Christ as Savior. And you might say, well, that is, you know, Christ goes on the cross and he's Savior, forgives my sins. That's true, but Savior is a bigger word than that and Christ is bigger than just that. Now that's big. I don't want to take away from it. It's just that the thing is we're not trying to make that salvation small. We're trying to make Christ even bigger than that. And so when we talk about Savior today, as we, as we hear what's coming out in the brokenness of the world in Genesis 2, we're going to try to be anticipating a Christ who's even bigger, even bigger than what we think of when we think of Christ on the cross. So turn with me, um, or if you've got your bulletins, we've got, we've got the scripture there. I'm gonna be reading kind of a longer section. Not everything is in the bulletin just because it's only one page. And, um, uh, but we'll, we'll read a little bit more of the story of Genesis. We're gonna start with just a little bit from Genesis 2, 15 to 17. And then we're gonna be reading more extensively Genesis 3. And you'll recognize this as the story of the fall. So here, Genesis 2, 15 to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So now skip with me to Genesis 3. We're going to read, particularly we're going to pay attention to 1 to 15, but I'm going to read through uh, a little further just so that we have a sense of the curses that came. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field on your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Pay attention closely here. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. 
In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles that it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Let's pray. Father, as we read this story of things falling apart, help it to become for us a story of anticipation of what you will be and what you're going to be doing. Not just what you did when you came first, 2,000 years ago, but also what you will be completing when you return again and make all things new. Lord, open our eyes to your word. Help us to see you. Help us to be encouraged, be reminded of what you've done for us, Lord, if we don't know you, to come to know you for the very first time. And Lord, help this community to be a community that wants to be part of your kingdom, actively seeking to serve you as you make all things new through your power, and through your people. In your name we pray, amen. So we're going to look at three things here, and one of the things that I think is interesting is the first part is we're going to talk about a need for fixing that comes before there's a problem. We're going to talk about a need for fixing, and so as we talk about Christ as Savior, I want you to think of Christ as perfecter, as healer, and as conqueror. But the first one is the idea of perfecter. And something that people have noticed in here is in the, in the story that we get, and by the way, I'm going to use the word story a lot, and I'm not trying to say just a story. It's a story of history, but it's told so that we have a sense of our world. This gives us a big picture of who, what the world is like. But even in the very beginning, even in that bit in Genesis 2, 15 to 17, let me read it again, there's something needed. There's something more before the world has fallen. Let me read this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what's, what's broken there? Adam and Eve have this, per- well, actually Eve isn't, hasn't come along yet, but Adam has this perfect garden He's unfallen, he gets to walk with God, he gets to communion with God, and he's just got one command. Don't eat of the tree in the middle of the garden or you'll die. Well, what's needed there? Well, the thing that people have noticed is, how long is that gonna go on? Right, there's this, there there is a command. Adam's unfallen, he's innocent, he's in community with God, but there's already in the story a sense of there needs to be something more. Because surely we aren't just going to live forever and ever and ever and ever with the possibility of falling, with the possibility of death, with the possibility of disobedience. Even in that very beginning, there's a sense of something more needs to be coming. At some point in time, it needs to be a situation where it's not even possible to fall. Already in the story, the world is very good, but it's not yet perfect. And in the word perfect, I want you to hear something a little different. We use the word perfect in a kind of very, uh, a very everyday way. The word perfect's an old word. Even if it got translated, it carried into English from different languages. And the word perfect meant more than just flawless. 
The word perfect meant complete. It meant exactly as it's supposed to be. It meant all having achieved its full end. It meant having been completed and brought together with no possibility. So to really truly be perfect, you couldn't really even become imperfect. True perfection was this kind of catch-all. Yeah, flawless. But also just like you're supposed to be, just like you were intended, just like you were made. And Adam and Eve, even in their innocence, even as they were very good and declared very good by God, they hadn't yet been perfected. They hadn't yet been perfected because hanging over them was the possibility of falling, the possibility of failure, the possibility of disobeying God. And one of the first stories we have here is one of them that says, even before everything was broken, God needed to do something more. Something more was coming. Something to take us from very good to perfect. We're going to look at that as we go forward. But the next thing is when the story all falls apart. Right In that world that's very good but not imperfect, nobody would be going onto Truth Point's website to trying to figure out how to get Apple cards out of you. It wasn't, it wasn't done. It wasn't finished. It wasn't completed. It wasn't guaranteed forever yet. But that wouldn't have happened. But then what happens with Adam and Eve? They're deceived. And the fascinating thing is to watch as they just sort of daisy chain the blame. Like we, we all love blame. One of our family sayings is, if you can't fix the problem, fix the blame. Right? If you can't fix the problem, fix the blame. God comes in. He gave the command to Adam, don't eat of the tree. God talks to Adam. And Adam immediately says, I'm really sorry. I messed up. No, he says, she did this to me. And then God turns to Eve and says, what did you do? And she says, he did this to me and points to the serpent. Everybody immediately, they didn't just learn good and evil. They also learned how to cast blame and try to defy responsibility. But the world got broken. If we had read on, or as we did read on in the curse, you hear that the world went from very good, but still awaiting perfection, to broken, to cursed, now the world didn't just need to be perfected. It wasn't just that we needed a savior who was a perfecter, a completer, a finisher of the possibility of failure. But now it needed a savior. The world, the whole world needed a savior who would heal it, who would fix it, who would repair the damage. The world was cursed. In Romans, Paul says this, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, not because of him who subjected it, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. When the fall happened, this didn't just affect Adam and Eve. It didn't just affect people like you and I. One of the things we need to realize is the whole creation was affected. When we think about evil, yeah, a lot of the stuff that comes to mind are people that go onto websites and try to rip off church volunteers, but not everything that we suffer from is about people. A lot of it is. Just 
A couple of weeks ago, two hurricanes in a row with unbelievable power went rolling into Central America in areas that are not only in poverty in many, in many situations with homes that can't stand up to it, but also that are just built because the topography almost made for mudslides and it turned into a disaster. Not as bad as the disaster that's been through there in other places with previous hurricanes where just nature itself, just the rain that we celebrate because it waters the ground and makes it possible for us to grow food can also, with the right confluence of situations, be devastating and destructive. Nature itself fights against us. Nature itself is broken. Nature itself needs a healer. The fall, the universe... The whole, the whole of it needs to be healed, needs the curse lifted. And right here in the very beginning, we get this sense, the world is now against you because of your sin. And we look around us and we see it, the world is broken. And from the very beginning, as we anticipate Christ, we need to anticipate not just that I need to be set free from my sin, and I need to be set free, frankly, from your sin, and you want to be set free from my sin. But that the world needs to be set free from the curse. The world is broken, and it needs to be saved. It needs a healer. It needs a fixer. But the last thing that's here in this early story is what demands a conqueror. Because as we look, start read with me Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The Lord said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This little bit right here in Genesis is known really, really helpful as the proto-evangelium. And I thought about just saying that and leaving because, I mean, I figured that just took care of the whole thing. Like, Proto-Evangelium. Actually sounds like the name of a spaceship. But all it means is the first good news, the first gospel. The first gospel in 315, the first time the story is told, God will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That word bruise, you'll sometimes, some of your Bibles will translate it as crush. It means to completely envelop, to wrap around, to hold tightly, to take control of, to destroy. And see, one of the things that we hear in this story is it's not just that the world is broken and against us, but actually, that brokenness, that evil, It's personified. It wants you. It's hungry. It chases you. And I think you know this, even as one of the things that happens in the Bible, we can get too excited about the devil. The church history has spent too much time, I think, trying to sort out exactly who Satan is and looking all different places. Notice that it just calls him the serpent here. We don't hear until the New Testament, the serpent being identified with Satan. We can get too excited about Satan and tell these big stories that aren't there in Scripture. But then you'll also probably, you probably know this, that for many people, Satan is like, oh, come on. What kind of person would believe in that? 
And it's one of the first things that people try to wipe out when they try to take Christianity and make it more acceptable. Come on, there's no devil. There's no personification. But, you know, honestly, forget about the way in Scripture evil is talked about as, as being personified. Forget about the fact that Satan, and I don't mean really forget about it. I just mean even if we set that aside, I think if you're honest with yourself, you've had this experience. Evil isn't just out there. It isn't just available to you. It isn't just possible for you to walk that way because you're fallen. I suspect all of you have had the experience of feeling how it wants you. How it wants you. How it whispers to you and deceives you. At this point, I've got to take out of my office as interim pastor here a little bit of license and say, you know, one of the things you're supposed to do in a church is to watch out for just habits that are bad habits or maybe bad teaching. And there was one that I just tried not to pay attention to for a long time. And then it popped back up last week. And I just got to let you guys know, you guys have been badly deceived about movies. I mean, look, The Princess Bride is great. But if the total hours of illustrations exceed the length of the movie itself... And Lord of the Rings is a fine movie. The fact that they remade them all over again, naming them The Hobbit, hoping nobody had read those books, really ruined it for me. Movies are great for illustrations. Actually, one of the reasons that they're powerful is because they do capture something real. And the thing that made me think about the the sort of humor of movies at Truth Point, I I don't use them very often. My daughter's home from, uh, from college. We were sitting out back and we were watching... Uh, the second and third Star Wars, which, of course, are the ones that came out fourth, or fifth and sixth out of the nine, which is why they have 11 movies. Now, Princess Bride, there's only one movie. There's 11 movies in Star Wars. I mean, I could do Star Wars for the rest of, I mean, who knows how long. But the, the thing that was interesting in there, this is, of course, when, when Darth Vader is becoming Darth Vader, when Anakin Skywalker is becoming Darth Vader, and the way the evil wanted him. They talk about it. In the movies, the force, the dark side of the force is just a force. It has no personification. But it does get personified. It wanted him. Evil wanted Anakin. And it was personified through people around him and through his fears and through things that were really good things. He wanted his kids to live. He wanted his wife to live. He wanted evil to be defeated. But here in the very beginning... We hear, evil isn't just a reflection of brokenness in the world. But we hear something that I think you know. Evil isn't just out there. It isn't just a name for not doing as good. It's personal and it's hungry and it wants you and it wants me. And we've felt that. And so as much in the beginning as we have a need for God to come and perfect things so that they can't go wrong again. And to lift the curse, to heal the curse, to fix the brokenness so the world doesn't fight against us. We also need a savior who's a conqueror. Who will defeat that personal evil that's hungry. That would be seeking even in a remade world to have you. The evil that you feel, even if you're one of the children of Christ right now. 
even if you've set your faith on him, even if you've recognized what he did in the cross in setting you free from sin, still I know you feel those times that evil is still hungry for you. And if it can't have you forever, and it can just have you for a little while, it'll take it. It wants you. It wants me. It wants us to make us worthless. And as we look forward to Christ who's coming, we look forward to a promise of all three of these being set aside. Christ, when he returns again, when he came the first time, he removed the devil's power by beating him. And yet the devil still is free to act. But we know that in the end, it'll be finished. His power will be destroyed and there'll be nothing coming for you anymore. That evil that you want, but that evil that wants you will be defeated a Savior who will conquer the hunger, the hunger of evil. But it will be a Savior who is coming, who will heal the world. One of the things we can do in the church is we forget the, this is the world God made, and this is the world we're made for. And Revelation talks about a remade heaven and earth, a remade Jerusalem. We're, made, we're not supposed to get pulled out of our bodies and taken away floating on the clouds playing harps, which always sounded horrible to me. I was more scared of that as a kid, really, frankly, than most. I mean, that sounded awful. But we're made for earth, for a physical earth, for a remade earth, and that's what God promises. He will heal the earth. We'll get new bodies. We'll be remade, and we'll be able to live there in a place that no longer fights against us, that no longer opposes us, that's no longer under the curse of our sin. But it'll also be a perfected place. See, Adam and Eve, as much as we can say, like people talk about, I want to go back to Eden. Go back to that. That wasn't perfect, perfect yet. It wasn't perfected. It wasn't complete. It wasn't finished. There was the possibility of failure. And what Christ, as we look forward to him as Savior, as we anticipate Savior, the Savior is also the perfecter. That future that we're promised is one where there's no evil chasing you where the world isn't broken around you, and where you can't fall away. A perfected world with no more lack, with no more open future, no more possibility of failure, but one where we as a community will worship in whatever ways, and if you want a harp, have a harp. But in worship constantly in the way that we live out our life in a perfected world, a perfected world remade. As we look forward to Savior, it is the Savior on the cross for us. If you've never heard of this future hope, if you don't know this Jesus Christ, the promise that is offered to you in him is of that, of a time in this world as a continuing broken person with broken people, but knowing a Savior, but a guaranteed promise that at death it'll be taken care of and that forever we'll live in the world that it was meant to be. And the Christ who's coming is all of these grand things, but he also is the Savior for you. When he went to the cross, he did take the sins of all those who know him. He did pay for them. He did make a new way. He lives as a new Adam, one that you can join in with as a child of promise, knowing the future. The future that's sure, perfect, 
healed and with evil conquered. And the way to that hope, the way to that future is not by trying to work and act and do and be more holy. The way is to say, God, I don't know what to do. I'm so broken. I'm so lost. I know things are wrong. I know it's not supposed to be this way. I know I'm not supposed to be this way. And I know evil is after me, but I'm hopeless. And every time I try to do more, I just feel more broken. Please, God, help me. Save me. Take this away. And that act of clinging to his promise and giving up the hope in your own good deeds is what it is. That's what it is that he asked for. That's what it is that brings you into that salvation. And for all those of you that have prayed that prayer, for all those of you that know that good word, be reminded it's not all fixed yet. It's not all healed yet. Evil's not been completely conquered yet. But if you're in him in that way, no matter how horrified you are with yourself, with the world around you, no matter how defeated you feel in the moment, his promise is sure. His guarantee is sure that it's been taken care of, that you are in him, that you are in this community. You've been set free so that we can live together for him in this world knowing, knowing that one day, will be together in a perfect, healed, eternal heaven where evil no longer seeks after us and cannot tear us away. Let's pray. Father, as we look forward to your birth, sort of a funny thing to look forward to something that happened so long ago. Lord, help us. Help us to really feel the full weight of what is needed, the full Revelation, the full way in which you said, here's who's coming. Lord, help us to be sympathetic to those who missed it because we miss it. But Lord, help us in these reminders to look forward to Christmas in a new way, seeing you not only as our Savior, not only as the one who sets us free from sin, but also as the God of the universe who's making all things new, perfecting your world, healing the brokenness, and calling us into an eternal kingdom where evil no longer seeks after us. Lord, be with us today and this week and help this community to be one that reflects that truth, that lives out that gospel in your kingdom here in West Palm Beach for the world to see. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio recording produced by Truthpoint Church. We encourage you to distribute this to as many people as you'd like but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way. For more information about our ministry or to subscribe to our podcast, please visit our website at www.truthpoint.org.